I've been hearing a lot of mixed and confusing messages lately about the COVID-19 vaccines. We're hearing that they work and are safe and people should get them, but then we're also hearing that they don't always work, that there are so-called breakthrough infections everywhere. So which is it? Are we being misinformed by the optimists telling us that they work or the pessimists telling us about all the breakthroughs? And do we need boosters? Should we be demanding that third shot? Lots of people here in the U.S. haven't gotten their shots yet, and lots of those who have are outraged at their choice. But I think a lot of this comes down to an act of trust. The very idea that this shot does something to ward off the disease can feel a little like magic. How do our bodies remember all these diseases that we've had or been immunized against so that they can pick up and fight them if we see it again? That's what I'll be tackling on this week's episode of Follow the Science, an exploration of science, medicine, and medical misinformation. I'm your host, Faye Flam. I'm a science journalist and a Bloomberg Opinion columnist, and this podcast is funded by a grant from the Society for Professional Journalists. My guest today is really good at explaining how the immune system works and how vaccines work. Her name is Monica Gandhi. She's an infectious disease specialist and a doctor at the University of California, San Francisco. She explained why the vaccines vastly reduce your risk from the pandemic, and yet she doesn't think we're going to need boosters anytime soon. I started by asking her about all those scary stories about reinfections, waning antibodies, and now breakthrough infections. And she made a really important point, which is that if you're exposed and you've been vaccinated and the vaccines are working exactly the way they're supposed to, then if you're subjected to a PCR test, well, those tests are so sensitive that you're likely to test positive even though your body is actually fighting off the virus. Or the virus might actually already be dead, but you'll be used as a statistic, possibly suggesting that the vaccines are failing even as your vaccine is in the process of working for you. There are essentially three ways to think about what can happen if you get COVID-19 again? And two actually don't matter. One doesn't matter, and then and then one matters, and then one's in between. So to put that really simply, um, sure, you, you can be totally immune to, uh, with your vaccine to COVID. And if someone swabs your nose and tests for the COVID virus in your nose, Actually, if you've seen it on the street as, as you know, you, you got exposed to it, your um, immune system will fight it. Uh, there's all these antibodies that cluster in your nose to fight that COVID virus. And then we even have T cells in our nose and you fight it. The problem with our current tests is that they're very, very sensitive. So a PCR test can, can amplify up like one virus in your nose. That means that once you get exposed, you can test positive while your very effective vaccine is working. Oh, and apparently it's even worse than that because the PCR tests can pick up dead virus and give you a positive result after the vaccine has done its job. And actually, we really need to incorporate better testing to really see if there's actually enough virus in your nose to have caused any problems to other people that you can spread it or cause problems to yourself. But even dead virus can be amplified in your nose. That's how sensitive PCR is. So that's not a breakthrough. That's actually a success. If you get exposed to a virus, 
it actually boosts your immune response and you fight it and then it goes away. It goes away from your nose. That is not a breakthrough. That should never be called a breakthrough. That is really important. And one thing I, you know, I wonder whether we have used terms that have been confusing. We talk about cases lumping in people who are really sick, people who are a little sick and people who aren't sick at all. Yeah, this has been a big problem with the with COVID in particular, because we never used to screen people's noses to see if they had coronavirus in there, if they felt totally well. We did that in the context of this pandemic, because prior to the vaccines, you could feel well, you could still hold the virus in your nose at high levels, and you could pass it on to someone else, asymptomatic transmission. After the vaccines, that equation totally changes. If you have a little virus in your nose, you're actually just fought it. You literally just showed a vaccine success by fighting it. And that should not be called a case. And that is a huge problem. We're still doing a lot of, even though the CDC does not recommend it, we're still doing a lot of swabbing of people's noses who feel well after vaccination and may have found that they were exposed, saw it, killed it, and it's gone. So that's not a case. That shouldn't be called a case. We have to change our definitions. And how do we know that people are less likely to transmit the virus if they get and, you know, they they test positive or they have a really mild? There is actually a way to calculate the viral load in the nose. And we now have many studies, basically six, but the best one that Dr. Fauci referred to today at, at the White House task force briefings today is July 16th, is from the New England Journal three weeks ago, it was called Prevention Attenuation of Disease After Vaccination. And what they did is took vaccinated people across this country and looked at who had mild breakthroughs. It was pretty rare to have a mild breakthrough, but if you had a mild breakthrough, then they swabbed the nose and actually calculated the viral load. You can calculate the viral load by figuring out how many cycles the PCR machine has to go through to trigger that you have a signal in there, that you actually have some virus in there. If you have to go through a lot of cycles, 30 cycles, there's very, very low amount of virus in there. And they calculated that essentially those who have mild breakthrough infections have much lower viral loads than someone who had a real COVID infection, you know, not a breakthrough, but someone who wasn't vaccinated. And asymptomatic infections, you know, hardly have any virus in there. So these calculations have been done and have been measured. And that's why we think it's hard to pass on the virus when you've, um, even when you have a mild breakthrough infection after vaccination. Is it any wonder that so many people think the vaccines don't work? Maybe the scaremongers deserve some of the blame for all of this vaccine hesitancy. And speaking of scaremongering, remember last summer when the headlines were proclaiming that we were going to have waning antibodies, and that got all of the worrying types to think that this pandemic was permanent, was never going away, because nobody would be immune after getting sick, and the vaccines would never work. That was certainly a form of misinformation, even though it was promoted by the mainstream media. Now. Antibodies will go away because if we had an antibody in our bloodstream for every infection we've seen since we were babies, our bloodstream would be extremely thick of protein. It isn't possible. That's natural. It's not a glitch. It's it's natural for the immune system to have antibodies wane. Historically, is there any, um, are there vaccines that need to be boosted every year or is that something that really doesn't happen. I mean, the flu is, I know, is a whole different thing. It's not really a booster. It's a sort of a new vaccine against the latest strain. Right. That's exactly right. There's not a single vaccine except for influenza, which we chase people down and give them a vaccine every year. And it's exactly what you just said about influenza is that it really is not a booster against what 
the influenza strains were the prior year, but it's a new vaccine because it really is to cover whatever circulating strains that were the past year. So there's not, we give many vaccines out in the world. We give measles, mumps, rubella, pertussis, diphtheria, you know, multiple hepatitis A, hepatitis B, but there's never a precedent um, for a yearly booster for a vaccine. And so it was premature to speak about this. I think what happened is why Pfizer talked about it. I mean, beyond, you know, the unfortunate question of, of financial profit for the company is there was a very small study from Israel, which was around 300 people that looked at the Pfizer vaccine was 64% effective with two doses against the Delta variant. That was 300 people. It's a very methodologically flawed study. And now there's been multiple analyses that said this was too small to tell. In the meantime, large, large studies, population-based studies out of the UK, Canada, now Scotland, and fundamentally in the US, because just the fact that 99.2% of people who are in the hospital right now with the Delta variant are unvaccinated, that really gives you a sense of the effectiveness of the vaccines against the Delta variant. All of that big data put together really indicates that these vaccines are holding up extremely well against the Delta variant. So because of that, I think that there's no indication right now, at least among the immunocompetent for booster vaccines. This is where the science comes in. The immune system is amazing and learning about it is actually kind of fun. You don't carry around all those antibodies to every disease you've ever caught or been immunized against. Your blood doesn't get all thick with all those antibodies, but you are immune because cells in your body actually carry something very much like a memory of the infection and they hide away in your bone marrow and your lymph nodes. It sounds like magic, but evolution can produce some pretty fantastic things over millions of years. Interesting. And so, you know, I read your thread and there was some really great science in there that I I wasn't sure I understood all of it, but maybe we could go a little, get a little sort of step by step through the B cell memory B cells and yes. what they are, what what they do when you if you've been vaccinated and then you see and your body is exposed to the pathogen. Yes. I mean, this is a great thing to go through and it's it's not that hard because it's pretty easy, basic immunology. And one thing I will say is we've learned a lot about immunology in a way over the last year when looking at these vaccines. So to put it really simply, there are two arms of the immune response. And one's the B cell response and one's the T cell response. So the B cells are the ones that produce antibodies. And if we just stick with that arm of the immune response at the moment, we know that even antibodies, which B cells produce, are adequate, even with the variant adequately generated by the vaccines to fight the variants. It looks like the Delta strain does require two doses of the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine to get good enough neutralizing antibodies, but two doses will do it. And one dose of the Johnson & Johnson. And luckily what they do is they have a blueprint where there is another cell that will produce those antibodies and need it again. And that is the memory B cell. So what happens is those B cells, they go into the memory bank. Where's the memory bank? Well, it's in the bone marrow, it's in lymph nodes. These are where memory B cells hide out. And then if they ever see the pathogen in the future, they quickly produce antibodies and fight it again. So why do we know that memory B cells are formed by these vaccines? Because there was an amazing study 
that literally looked at people who had had a vaccine, biopsied their lymph nodes, and saw really strong memory B cells going up over time, forming from the vaccines. They also form from natural infection in the bone marrow study, where people biopsied bone marrows. It's even better than that, because the B cells can recognize and respond to some variations in the virus. That's evolution. It's adapted to fighting viruses, and viruses have always been able to mutate. Flu just happens to be unusually good at mutating, so it's a step ahead of our immune systems. But it's the exception, and it turns out that coronaviruses don't mutate quite the same way or as fast. Then the final thing to say about memory B cells is the amazing thing about this is that there was a paper from Oregon Health Sciences two, three weeks ago that showed us if you take a memory B cell formed in response to the vaccines or natural infection and you expose it to a variant, it doesn't make antibodies against some old strain that it saw in the past. It makes antibodies adapted for that variant, for the Delta variant, for the Epsilon variant, whatever it's going to see. And so that really convinces me you won't need to make vaccines in the future that are designed against specific variants because your memory B cells will adapt their antibodies to whatever they see. Oh, so in other words, they, they, the mutations aren't so extreme that the B cells can't recognize them and they have a certain amount of leeway in exactly which antibodies they make. Yes, they, they will adapt. The, the, their antibodies that they make, it's like a blueprint of a house that the memory B cells hold. And then if you see in, in the future, if there's you're, you're moving that house to a more rainy place, the blueprint will adapt and it will create antibodies you know, that will protect you better. And that's just antibodies. We, we do have to turn to T cells. So the, t- the memory T cells are the second arm of the immune system. T cells, and then they go into the bank as well. For different banks in your body, they just stay around a long time and are called memory T cells. Do the T cells sort of multiply in your body once they see the antigen so they know to make more of themselves if they're yes. not? Same idea is that memory T cells go and hide out if they see the pathogen again. The difference between a B cell uh, and, a, and a T cells, T cells are very adapted to um, that specific pathogen they'd seen in the past. So they hide out. Say they see the um, virus again in the future, they will absolutely amplify. They will come up and they will attack that virus. And the B cells will also come out. The memory B cells produce antibodies and help the T cell attack that virus. So B cells and T cells work in tandem. But the point being, when you think about the variants and when you think about boosters, is how we have now good evidence that we form memories, memories of both of these types of cells, memory B cells, memory T cells. We have good evidence. We've literally biopsied people and also, you know, watch memory T cell response. So it sounds like what we're learning is in line with other vaccines against viruses that they, that they um, create these cells that, that live a long time in your lymph nodes or in your bone marrow. So you aren't, you don't have to be full of antibodies for for years and years. Yes, if you were full of antibodies, you couldn't move. I wanted to know how she felt about CDC not recommending new national restrictions or mask mandates for the vaccinated as well as the unvaccinated in light of the spread of the Delta variant, which is now dominant in the U.S. as well as many other parts of the world. So there seems to be a certain amount of public outrage when you read comment sections. You know, people will say, 
they're, you know, how can they do this? It's going to be terrible. Delta's going to kill us all. So that you do get a certain amount of public. The CDC has actually been very database, I have to say, in this current era. And they are the ones, unlike us, that have all the data from around the country and can reassure us that the people who are in the hospital are the ones who are unvaccinated and understand that what we need to be doing is focusing our efforts on the unvaccinated, not the opposite. Yeah. And then it's... Uh, it- do you think that 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 we we should also be refocusing our testing efforts then? Yes, and that's the other thing the CDC is really clear about. And in fact, July eighth, CDC director answered a reporter question from a reporter. They said, "Do you have to test if someone's asymptomatic and they're vaccinated?" And they said, "No, that is not our policy. That is not what we are recommending. We test people who have symptoms after vaccination because the equation changes after vaccination." how you test. Your testing algorithms have to change when someone has a vaccination. If we didn't have the most sensitive, such a sensitive test, maybe it wouldn't. But our test is very sensitive and finding some dead or killed virus in the nose after you're vaccinated is a success, not a failure. Yeah, I I feel like there are sort of two viewpoints. And the one that I think goes back very early that says, you know, what we care about is hospitalizations. That's what we should be keeping our eye on because that's what we, that's why we care about this pandemic. You know, some people end up in the hospital but then other people say, oh, wait two weeks. You know, it's a lagging indicator. If there are a lot of cases, it means there'll be more people in the hospital. But ha- have we seen that pattern break now that we've had so many people vaccinated? Not Yeah, we have seen that pattern break. Um, and in fact, Dr. Fauci just showed that data from Israel and the UK this morning in the White House Task Force briefing that this we call it uncoupling, this uncoupling between cases and hospitalizations that it used to be you'd, you know, before the vaccines, you'd see this very predictable, terrible rise in cases, and then it'd be followed two weeks later by really, um, not parallel, but like rise in hospitalizations that followed that curve. And now what we're seeing in highly vaccinated countries like Israel, the UK, and the US is when cases go up in those who are at least vaccinated, the hospitalizations aren't happening. Vaccines are the best thing you can do. I keep on getting confused that people think mass distancing ventilation are good. They were good. They were good. But vaccines are the best. I mean, they, they're the how you protect your population. And that's why the CDC has changed. Because we're so lucky to have these vaccines. That's what they're changing their strategy to away from those, those non-pharmaceutical interventions and towards the most pharmaceutical intervention you can think of, which is the vaccine. Do you, do you think that Delta will make it harder to get herd immunity because it has a higher reproduction rate? That unfortunately is likely true that it was harder to, it used to be that we were at, you could see the cases and the hospitalizations were staying low before the Delta variant. And then the Delta variant is sort of seeking out essentially the unvaccinated because it is so much more fit. And this has delayed us. This has delayed that progress that we were hoping to be in by August of this year. And I I think everyone's extremely disappointed. It means we do need higher numbers of people to be immune. It is true. It seems like it's really an important turning point right now as the big, you know, do we get big pharma to vaccinate the world or are they going to try to push boosters on us? And I wonder if we we can start talking about how much difference it'll make and how important it is, how distribution of vaccines matters. Yes. I mean, so like you just said, you know, we keep on getting variants, right? Like the most important thing we can do, not just morally and ethically, which clearly it's moral and ethical that 
anyone who's dying in 2021 should not be dying because they don't have to die from COVID if they could get a vaccine. So the fact that we've had more deaths in 2021 worldwide than we had in all of 2020, and we've only been seven months into 2021, is a tragedy because we should be getting these vaccines out, global vaccine equity. But now you're right, there is this quite a bit of focus on, okay, do we need boosters in rich countries to increase the effectiveness of the vaccines? And there's many reasons that that does not seem like it's indicated, both immunologically, even if you went to basic immunology research, and then importantly, from what we're seeing from real world data, even with the Delta variant, about how adequate two doses of the vaccine are for the two dose vaccines. So maybe she's right and it is time to stop counting healthy people testing positive as, quote, cases. It's confusing and possibly even misleading about how well the vaccines work. It shouldn't be that hard to give the public comprehensible data about who's getting sick, who's being hospitalized, and what's happening to the vaccinated as opposed to the unvaccinated parts of the population. And I think quality information is something to keep in mind during a time that misinformation is a big news story. We have the president of the United States and the Surgeon General taking social media to task for misinforming people about vaccines. And that is happening, but social media is also rushing in to fill a vacuum created by lack of good, comprehensible, cool-headed information coming out of health departments and the mainstream media. So if we're going to tell people to stop looking at the morass of information and misinformation on Facebook to learn about the pandemic and the latest on vaccines, we should be able to point them to something a lot better. Thank you for listening to Follow the Science. Follow the Science is produced by Faye Flam with funding by the Society for Professional Journalists. Today's episode was edited by Seth Glicksman with music by Kyle Imperator. You can follow us on Facebook for the latest, but if you'd like to hear more Follow the Science, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix.